Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to Buffalo Shots Podcast. Hello again and welcome to another Horror Shots Podcast with me, Casey. Of course, this podcast is brought to you by none other than MorbidlyBeautiful.com. Yes, that lovely little website that provides you with everything you need to know about horror in the pop culture sense. They always have a ton of great information going up there, from interviews to retrospectives to reviews, top ten lists, whatever you want. They have it. Go check out MorbidlyBeautiful.com right now. Now, over the past couple of months, I have been running a little contest. So for those of you who wanted to leave a review, and did during that time frame, you were entered into a draw to win some pretty cool stuff. That contest is now over, and we have a winner. It is none other than the very first entry, and that was Stephanie Gurr, or Stephanie Gurr, who left a review on Apple Podcasts. So that's the winner. I need you, Stephanie, or Stefani, to send me an email at horrorshotspodcast at gmail.com so I can get your information so I can send you uh, a shirt or a print or whatever you want. We'll talk. We'll talk. Just send me an email and I will get back to you with when you can expect it and what you're going to get. That's really the last bit of housekeeping I have for you today. Of course, if you want to check out my website, horrorshots.com, you can do that. And before we get started, I do want to let you know about one other little project I am working on at the moment. It is a podcast, and it features more of an audio drama feel to it. It's a storytelling podcast where I will be writing a whole lot of different short stories to share with you. And I'll be reading them in a spooky voice, so you have that to look forward to. That's going to be called By the Candle's Light. And you can check out some of my old audio dramas on that same link as well. So I'll put that in the description, but if you don't want to read the description, it is show's dot pippa dot io slash candles light i'm really excited for it i haven't been excited for a project like this in a very long time and i really hope you enjoy it and you do end up listening to it if not i'm not going to be super offended but it will be a very good time but now on to the podcast itself so we are continuing on our tour of the eerie usa and if you remember correctly we are now into the seas since there are no states that start with b which is something i learned I guess you could say. I never really thought about that before, but there we go. We are in California now. Now, California is the dream state. Everybody wants to go there. Everybody wants to live there. And nobody can afford to, unless you are Bill Gates or a tech billionaire or something like that. But despite all the golden sunsets and the vast mountain ranges and the various ecosystems that kind of thrive in the state. There is one thing other than billionaires that do live there, and that would be the California Dark Watchers. Now, what is a Dark Watcher? That's a very good question. Let's start with where they come from. Now, there's not a whole lot of information available about these weird mystical creatures, but I was able to find a few different articles online and some books that were written, one book specifically, about these Dark Watchers. Now, it is said that they go back to the Chumash tribe of Native Americans who have apparently spotted these things 
years before colonization occurred. But those are some very unreliable sources, I guess you could say. There's nothing really documented, and an expert on the Chumash people did come out saying that there's never any literature or any lore associated with the Dark Watchers and these people. Somebody made it up along the way, it seems like, but I want to mention that just just in case it is true. You never know. It might be, but it seems unlikely. And it does seem that the first mention of these mysterious Dark Watchers comes from the Spanish, when the Spanish explorers were trekking up the mountain ridge where these guys are known to be found, and that is in the Santa Luisa or Lucia mountain range, kind of near San Luis Obispo County, and even close to the Monterey County. And while these explorers were trekking up the mountains and going through the wilderness up there, they spotted these tall, human-like figures that stretched upwards of seven feet tall, maybe even closer to 15. Now, they described them wearing brimmed black hats and long, dark cloaks. There's never any detail, they just seemed like shadows in the distance, and as they got close, they were scared enough that they decided, hey, we're not going to hang out here much longer anymore, and took off. It became an actual obstacle in the exploration of the region from the Spanish. Now, of course, with stories like that, they come and they go, and there's a whole lot of different reports about what is actually happening up in the mountain ridge. But in this instance, that's not necessarily the case. A lot of people have described these things very much the same. No matter what source I found, they all seem to mention the same paragraph, the same descriptions as if they were copying one another, and that's kind of how urban legends do start. They go from one person to the next, and little details change here and there, but for the most part it stays relatively status quo, and that's exactly what happened with the Dark Watchers, and nobody really has been able to expand upon it in years. There's never been really any reports of what they look like in terms of facial features, and they're not typically seen as anything more than a silhouette. They're always generally seen as well in the dawn or twilight hours, and they are always, always silent, which is the most disturbing part of the whole story, is how quiet these creatures are. As I said, there aren't a whole lot of resources available for these guys, but there are a couple. Now, there is a story from John Steinbeck, in his short story collection called Flight, and that was released in 1938, and one of the excerpts goes as such. Pepe looked suspiciously back every minute or so. His eyes sought the tops of the ridges ahead. Once, on a white barren spur, he saw a black figure for a moment, but he quickly looked away, for it was one of the Dark Watchers. No one knew who the Dark Watchers were, nor where they lived, but it was better to ignore them and never show interest in them. They did not bother one who stayed on the trail and minded his own business. So it's a creepy little excerpt from that short story called The Long Valley, but there is something that predates it, and that is Robinson Jeffers in his titular poem in 1937, and it's from a collection called Such Counsels You Gave to Me and Other Poems, and his goes as such. He thought it might be one of the watchers, who are often seen in this length of the coast range, forms that look human to human eyes, but certainly are not human. They come from behind ridges to watch, but when he approached, he recognized the shabby clothes and pale hair and even the averted forehead and concave line from the eyes to the jaw, so that he was not surprised when the figure, turning towards him in the quiet twilight, 
showed his own face. Then it melted and merged into the shadows beyond it. Another creepy little tale from 1937. So this has been going on for quite a while. We're going on 80 plus years now with this legend, if not even prior to that, as I mentioned with the Spanish explorers. Though again, there's not a whole lot of documentation regarding those encounters. Now, I mentioned John Steinbeck, who wrote that first excerpt we read, but it's his son who really kind of explored this lore a little bit further. Thomas Steinbeck would grow up to report various times where he saw the Dark Watchers in his childhood, and he even co-collaborated or co-wrote a book called In Search of the Dark Watchers, and I'm going to read to you a synopsis, I suppose, of that book in just a few minutes, but I'm not done talking about what these creatures are, what they do, and how they react to people. Now, as with most great urban legends, they can't be verified. And they can't be verified for a number of reasons. There's not a lot of them. They don't show themselves too often. They're hard to find. They're in the wilderness or secluded, whatever the case might be, such as the typical Bigfoot thing. If he's out there, then, you know, he's probably out there, but he's very difficult to find because he's always hidden. He knows people. He watches just like these dark watchers do. And there's always a caveat. In the case of the Dark Watchers, they can sense technology. They can sense anything from radios to cameras to even waterproof plastics. It's said they only show themselves to those who are simple, who dress kind of old-fashioned or very minimalist. If you go hiking in that stretch of wilderness and you have even a cell phone or GPS or even a leather jacket, perhaps even a raincoat, these creatures won't appear to you. For some reason, they just hate it. Anything that's kind of new, they don't like. And it tends to scare them off, according to reports. Some reports say that they won't appear if people are up-to-date or modern. But if you are just walking in shorts and basic shoes and a t-shirt, and you're walking along with a stick and nothing more to aid you, there's a chance that you could see these dark creatures. And that is the reason or the explanation as to why... You'll never catch them on film or video or get any eyewitness reports of validity just because they don't like technology. And if you have any technology on you, they will not appear. It seems a little convenient to me that that's the case, but I'm not a dark watcher. And if these things do exist, and maybe they are afraid, maybe they are relics of a time past. Maybe the first settlers in the area, people we don't even know about. Perhaps it's a piece of history that has gone unwritten, maybe hundreds of years before we even know about settling in North America, before the first people even stepped foot here, maybe before that even. Somebody crashed on the shores of the Pacific. Maybe they crashed into California, and those are the remnants, the spirits of the very first settlers. It might even explain why they're dressed in that sort of old-fashioned pilgrim-style way. Maybe they're the very first. It's hard to say. It's unlikely, but it's a little piece of history that maybe has been overlooked. I don't want to speculate because I'm not a historian, and maybe there is some truth to it, but I doubt it. It's just a fun little theory I just kind of thought up as I was reading these little tales. I mean, the long brimmed hats, the long coats, almost kind of reminiscent of a plague doctor. Yeah, just give it a thought. It's more likely, though, that these are nothing more than hallucinations. It does get very, very hot in California, and the one time I was in that golden state, I got heat stroke. I come from Canada. We don't get 120 degree temperatures in the middle of July, or ever. And I happened to be there on the long weekend of July, and I went for a hike in the woods and nearly died. 
At least I didn't have to go to the hospital where I would have had to spend billions of dollars to get some water or something. But I digress on the healthcare system there. That's not the point of this. The point is that I can understand where hallucinations come from. If you're unprepared or even if you're just suffering from heat stroke, no matter how much water you get inside of you, it's still a potential. You could still get some heat stroke or sunstroke and start to hallucinate. In dawn, twilight, sunset areas, shadows bounce. There's no denying that. You could be walking up a ridge and see a tree kind of hit a rock in a certain way, but as you climb up the ridge a little bit more, the shadow disappears. That would also explain why these creatures appear so tall. They are said to be upwards of 7 to 15 feet in length, and that seems like the length of a shadow, especially a large shadow coming from a tree or maybe even another hiker, just kind of bouncing and playing with your mind. And if you're under any sort of mental distress because of the heat or exhaustion, it's a high possibility. Beyond that, there doesn't seem to be any reasonable explanation as to what these creatures, these spirits, or these entities are. They don't seem to be malevolent or benevolent in either way. There are often reports of nothing happening when they're around. Some say they're an omen for bad luck, but they could just be coincidence after seeing one. Maybe they just had a bad string of luck and that was going to happen anyway. Some report that they might even be beaconed to lost travelers, kind of guiding them in the right direction should they become lost in the woods. When reports vary in such drastic measures from being mean to nice spirits, to put it simply, it kind of takes away from the credibility of the overall case. I can't say for certain what these creatures are, and nobody really can. And that's kind of the fun aspect of urban legends. I did promise you, though, that I will read a synopsis, if you will, from the book In Search of the Dark Watchers. And this is from Thomas Steinbeck and others. They live in the misty hillsides of Big Sur. The early Spanish explorers and Mexican ranchers and their vequeros who followed called them Los Vigilante Oscuros. The Dark Watchers, as they came to be known, are migratory beings possessed of incredible hearing and impeccable eyesight. Like crows, they can sense the presence of gun oil and smell the plastics of waterproof coatings. Therefore, they are immune to high-tech detection, and only reveal themselves to trekkers simply equipped with sticks and hats. Who or what the Watchers are, no one knows. Where they came from and where they go are a mystery. They leave without a footprint. In Search of the Dark Watchers is a result of an artistic collaboration between author Thomas Steinbeck and artist Benjamin Brody. Noted novelist and storyteller Steinbeck describes the inspiration for the book. On a gentle summer evening not long ago, Steinbeck told Brody about the legendary Watchers who roam the wilds of Big Sur. Steinbeck accounts a narrative that harkens back to the tales of his grandmother, Olive Hamilton Steinbeck. She swore she had not only seen the Dark Watchers, but also claimed to have traded fruits, flowers, and walnuts with them. Benjamin Brody, a masterful painter inspired by both early California Impressionalism and contemporary landscape artist, decided to pack up his old VW van and head up to Big Sur to see if he could capture some of the Dark Watchers' mysteries on canvas. Now, if you are interested in picking up this book, you can absolutely do so. You can do so by checking it out on Amazon. Now, that is all I have for you this week on the Dark Watchers. They're very interesting sort of shadow people, and shadow people are always a very fascinating topic. There's a whole lot of them stretching from coast to coast, from country to country, continent to continent. 
It seems that every culture has their own version of what a shadow person is. And maybe one day I'll come across another one of these. Maybe another state has their own variation. I'm not sure, but we'll find out as I continue my tour across the eerie United States. So, until next time, when we check out the next state on the list.